Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. My name is Chet Czar. I'm a dark artist. An artist, but I'm a dark artist. I use the term dark artist because I don't want to shy away from it because that's what everybody calls it. But you've heard that before if you listen to the podcast. Anyway, today's episode is episode 120, if you can believe that. Pretty amazing. It is an interview with the incredible graphite artist Lori Lipton, and it was a really enjoyable interview. I met Lori, um, let's see, was it? 10 years or so ago, maybe longer, in London, I believe, when I had a show at Strychnine Gallery called Ugly American. And uh, Yasha Young, who ran the gallery, was cool enough to set up a meeting. And I went to Lori's place when she lived in London and had a visit. She was really cool. And her work is incredible. And then she moved out to LA. And I see her at shows and stuff from time to time now. So we go back a bit. And um, it was great to finally interview her on the podcast. So you, I hope you enjoy it. It's not as long as normally. It's, I think, just over an hour. She has to do, I told her it usually goes from an hour to two hours, and she was like, well, let's just do one hour. So I respected that, and I was able to get her like an extra seven minutes over. But it was a great interview, really fun. Uh, as far as what's going on with me, I'm just completely whacked out. I'm exhausted. I finished painting for my show and painted all the frames, boxed everything up and shipped everything out Friday. It's Sunday right now. So I'm just kind of like on the, you know, on the uh, decompression part of painting for a show like that. I think it was a month and a half, which is really insane. I just ran out of time. It's, you know, I'm always complaining on here. You know how hard it is. Uh, I can't keep doing this, though. I just can't. There's no way. Uh, I have to either stop doing shows or... Um, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't keep doing it like this. It's too much. Like There was a couple times I was like, I could see dying from this. I could see having a heart attack or collapsing because I'm so tired. And this, is, this happened to me, you know, probably a few times since... I think the ego death show was the first time I was feeling that way. <clears throat> like my body's, this is not good. It's too much. It's not worth it. You know, I've got this commitment. I'm determined to, you know, make this art thing work and to become more successful and earn more and just climb up this ladder of success that I'm trying to do and but there's a but this is this is too hard this is too hard it's not worth it it's painful it's it's bad it's bad <laughs> it's 
but I'm glad it's over. So I, I have to figure out a different way of scheduling it next time or something because it's just not it's just not worth it. It's too much. And the older I get, the harder it is. Pulling all-nighters is not like it used to be. Anyway, I am relieved, and um, I took yesterday off and today off, and I've just been binge-watching that show Billions, which is really good. I think it's on Showtime. I've been streaming that, sitting in my easy chair that I have in my studio, and I did nothing all day for 12 hours, probably sat in that chair and watched Billions over and over. Um, really good show. I'm enjoying it and enjoying doing nothing, but I'm already feeling antsy. It's weird. It's like, it's like when you're, when your mind is just geared up to be working and working and working and working, when you finally stop, you feel like you should be doing something. So usually what happens is I'll, you know, I crash, take a few days and just I'm all burnt out and messed up and exhausted. My sleep schedule's flipped around. and But then I start feeling like, oh, I want to get back to the easel. It's weird. I'm kind of, I do have that addiction to the, the work. Um, so I, I have to get back to commissions. I've got a bunch of outstanding commissions and I've got the dystopia book and rewards for the dystopia project that haven't gone out like some elaborate hand-painted pieces many of which are almost finished so uh and also these stu- pre-sale studies i did uh, a couple months back so i'm getting back on all that next week two days off is as much as i'm going to give myself because i've got i've got things to do but i'm also going to not be doing the 12-hour days i'm going to take it at a more reasonable pace Anyway, that's that. I don't want to sit complain the whole, whole uh, episode. It's all good. If the show sells out or sells well, I'll be happy and I'll be fine. And I'll just, I'm just vowing to never, never do it again. I'm never going to do this again. I say that now, but, you know, I can't do it. Okay, let's move on to, let's see. Oh, we got, we've only got one new subscriber. To the Dark Art Society Patreon this week, and that is Laura Atkins. Thank you, Laura. I don't think I mentioned you last week. I don't think I don't think you pledged last week. Maybe I did. In that case, we don't have any new ones. But Laura Atkins, you get a shout out again because I think you're the latest. If you want to support, you can do it for as little as a dollar a month. A lot of people, you know. Do like three dollars, five dollars, ten dollars. We've even got some fifty-dollar people. It's amazing. If you want to support it, um, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/DarkArtSociety, and it's really easy to join. It's free to join. You can hook it to your PayPal or a credit card. And there's so many great artists on Patreon. Patreon is so amazing. I really, if you're a fan of art. I, you know, I really encourage you to get on Patreon. I got my own Patreon as well, which is patreon.com slash Chetzar. And uh, now that this show's over, I'm going to start putting more effort into, into my page. I mean, I've been doing pretty good with it. I've been updating it just about every day for the most part. But 
I've got a pin promotion I'm going to do, and I've got the Dark Art Society pin promotion I'm going to do this coming month. So I'm going to get back to paying more attention to both Patreon accounts now that I am not, you know, under the gun so much. So please support if you can. It just takes a buck a month. Okay, let's get on to the five questions. Let's see. These are the last of the five questions. I've been mining the five questions from all the times we've asked in the past. And this will probably be the last of this batch. Okay, Michael R. Miller. What is the best way to address missing items going missing in the mail? What precautions should you take and how far should you go to please the customer? Well, I, you know, what I do when it comes to missing items, uh, you know, you try first, you try and assess the situation to make sure someone's not trying to rip you off because I've had people rip me off before. Like I've had people, uh, I remember when I was selling the disturb the normal DVD, someone wrote me back and said, Oh, there's my DVD won't play. It's damaged. And I said, okay, send it back and I'll send you a new one. And they sent it back, and it was clear that someone just took a nail and just went rant, 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 and like zigzagged on the CD. So what they probably did is they took it, burned it onto their computer, and then asked for another one and probably sold it on eBay or something. So, but the thing, you know, I don't know if this is true with everybody, but with me, it's very rare that that happens. I always say this, and it's not to be patronizing or anything, but. My fans and supporters are seem to be different than other uh, fans of other artists, um, from from what I hear. Because I get so little people try pulling scams like that. It's so rare. <clears throat> it's rare when when people hassle me or give me a hard time about something. It's just the most supportive community. It's really an incredible group of people, and I'm and I'm really appreciative of that. So point being is when I, when, when I have, if the rare occasion where things do go missing, items go missing in the mail, I just replace them. You know, I think it's worth it in the long run because you could say, oh, I'm okay. Here's a $20 item got lost in the mail. Uh, you can make a big fuss over it and, you know, just hey, nickel and dime people well send me the shipping and and i'll send you this or you have to you know pay for it again and i'll send you another one i would rather just send them a replacement because as a business person i think that they will appreciate that that you did that and they will come back and buy more stuff and and they'll appreciate that you're cool about it and they'll want to support you more so stuff goes missing i unless it's something you know something really really valuable i'll just replace it kind of without question um if something is really valuable that goes missing that's a different story and we have to kind of you know figure it out i ensure that stuff though so anyway okay um let's see Lorna Mess, which book would you have loved to write? I think the book that I would have loved to write is The Talisman by Peter Straub and Stephen King. 
I really feel like that book had such an influence on me and uh, on the dystopia world. I really feel like a strong connection with that whole reality the, um, in, uh, in the talisman. If you haven't read it, it's really great. Um, well, that and the Dark Tower series, I guess, from Stephen King. Because the the alternate universe in the Talisman is the same alternate universe in the Dark Tower, so I'll go with that. Uh, let's see here. Okay, Christopher Dombos. When picking a color range for your pieces, do you decide on an overall mood as to what drives you to do that? Besides basic color theory. Uh, sometimes it's a mood. This, this last series, the administrators, the, the last series I went crazy finishing, just finishing. Um, that was the color scheme was chosen because I did want to capture a mood for sure. I mean, I was kind of going back to my old, my roots in a way, kind of influenced by the stuff I did on the tool videos and, um, just older inspirations. Uh, like Joel Peter Witkin and and uh, the Quay Brothers and stuff like that. And there's lots of rust and darkness and you know actual dark darkness, lighting darkness and so yeah. Sometimes other times it's just a matter of I'm inspired to create in a certain palette for whatever reason because I'm interested in doing it. I, I, the the main thing when creating a show is I want to be excited about it. I feel like I do my best work. I think this is probably true with every artist. Um, you do your best work when you're really, really into something and, 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 and you're excited about it and you want to see it fully realized. So that's the main criteria when I'm painting for a show is to just be excited in general. Um, you know, other times it's not about the color. Other times it's about, yeah, I really want to do a bunch of paintings that have uh, figures, full figures. You know, I normally do these head and shoulders things, portraits, but um, it depends. You know, it depends. Okay. Let's see. That was one, two, three. Uh, okay, Ryan Selleck, stolen from the Tim Ferriss show. What is the book or books you've gifted most? I think that would probably be the book Illusions. Oh, I just thought of another. I'll go with Illusions by Richard Bach. I don't know if any of you have ever read Illusions, but it's a really it's one of my favorite books. It's called, I think it's called The Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah. And it's about a guy who meets like a modern day Christ who doesn't want to, is not interested in doing it. He just kind of wants to fly this plane around and hang out. So he teaches him how to be a, a Messiah, basically teaches him spiritual stuff. It's a really good book. It's the same guy who wrote Jonathan Livingston Siegel, which is a good book too. But I thought, I always liked Illusions better. Um, yeah, another good one is The Prophet by Cahill Gibran. I think that's how you pronounce his name. That's a really great book. I guess uh, 
and the Tao Te Ching. That's another one I've bought people, which is like a Eastern Taoist spirituality book. It's kind of like the Taoist Bible, I think, but it's really, really great. Okay, so that was one, uh, two, three. Okay. Okay, Lorna Mast asked what the soundtrack to my life would be. What song is the soundtrack to your life? Um, probably Flight of the Bumblebee. That's how it feels most of the time. Okay, I think I need one more. Uh, Susan, Sue Dyer, do you think any of your life experiences led you to the type of art you do? I don't know if I, I may have asked, answered this one before, but absolutely. I've spoken many times of um, weird stuff that's happened to me when I was a kid and my uh, drunk grandfather chasing us kids around when I was like three year, years old in a house with the lights turned off with a caveman mask on, scaring the shit out of us. I'm sure that had something to do with it. I think, you know, I think it's true of all artists, though. Your life experience leads you to the kind of art you do. I mean, unless you're painting purely to make money and it's not really about self-expression, I think that that your that your life, I mean, you you are your life experiences. That's kind of who you are. So, of course, it's going to affect what you're interested in painting, so. Okay, I think that's it. I'm still kind of out of it and exhausted if you can't tell. I probably should go take a nap. So, okay, that's it. I, I got everything covered. Uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. Like I said, it was really fun, really informative, really interesting. And another weird little thing is she, Lori has shown in the blue chip gallery world. So she kind of gives a little peek into that, which is interesting because I've never really talked to anybody about that before. But She's a great interview, great artist. So that's it. And I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, Lori. Hello, my lovely Chet. How are you today? I'm excellent. I've been drawing all morning. <laughs> that's what you do every morning, right? Yeah, but I get to do it and I'm still grateful and thankful for it. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, you know, it was. I, I I just watched your documentary and it's so good. It's so good. I loved it. It's one of the best art documentaries I've ever seen, really. Oh, thank you. And, and I love how you said it at the very beginning I've drawn more than anybody that ever lived. <laughs> no, not exactly like that, but you know what? I'm in a love to draw every day. For over sixty years, I'm yeah. allowed. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I was. I, I the documentary is so good. It really. Uh, I don't know. I I've always considered you a really, really important artist. And after seeing the documentary, I'm like, 
you're even more important than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean you'll give me more respect? <laughs> oh, yes. I, 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 I always give you respect. I, we met, I think the first time we met was in London. Yeah, I was trying to remember. I think it was, um, who introduced us? I think it was again? Yasha. Oh my God, Yasha. And Strychnine. Right. Strychnine. Yeah, Strychnine Gallery. My name a, and nature. <laughs> I, I, uh, I met a lot of people through, through Yasha and Strychnine, actually. A lot of cool people. But I, rem- it was, I was over there for my Ugly American show. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and we came. But over. we first contacted. We first contacted each other on MySpace. Oh, really? Yeah. Lovely to me. I remember because someone had set up a, a a MySpace thing for me. I had no idea. I just bought my you know laptop. I didn't know what was going on. And they said, "Look, let me do this for you." And I said, "Oh, don't you know?" She said, "No, no, let me, please, let me, let me." And through that MySpace um, page. I met you, I met John, I met so many artists, and you were really lovely to me. You were very kind and helpful, and oh. I remember that. Oh, cool. Well, I, I know that the, the 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 first image I remember from you, I think the first thing I saw was the love bite, which is, you know, I think your most famous drawing, don't you think? Well, it's been the most um, posted online, right. yeah. And it's the sickest. So what's up with that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's shocking. It's a shocking it is drawing. Shocking. No, it's, I hung this at a show in London. And a guy came up to me and said, he pointed at that drawing. It's six foot, by the way. Mm-hmm. He said, take that down. And I said, what? He said, take it down. And I said, but it's my show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take it down. He said, that's offensive. So I said, well, you can leave. <laughs> exactly. You know, really angry it's so weird i know i remember people kind of freaking out about that and i i didn't i freaked out it was on my drawing table and when i first you know i walk in in the morning very bleary-eyed with a cup of tea and i go ah (laughs) (laughs) so i knew it was good it was if it was shocking me it was good Yeah. (laughs) yeah that's the hardest thing is to shock yourself as an artist I, I also love how you said uh, in the in the documentary you said people people used to tell you why can't you draw nice things oh my god I heard that all throughout my childhood yeah yeah people my especially my grandma mm-hmm. it was my aunt who did it yeah yeah my aunt Vivian as well um, <laughs> used to say um, Lori 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 why can't you- <laughs> Or something I can hang up over my sofa. Something preferably that would match my orange sofa. <laughs> but my mother, I don't know if your parents were uh, supportive. Yeah, super supportive. That was, yeah. I related to a lot in the documentary. Yeah, because my mother used to say, you know, Ma, back off. That's what she does. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mom, I remember my mom telling me one time when I was probably five or six, I asked her, like, I was going to draw something. and. I asked her if it was okay to draw it. And she said, you can draw anything you want. And I, and from that moment, it was like, I just, I never really censored myself. Exactly. That's what happened to me too. And teachers, you know, in kindergarten. <laughs> yep. <laughs> used to say to my mother, look what she's drawing. <laughs> right. Same and my mother says so. Yeah. 
That's really and I cool. was I was not censored, which is how you and I probably developed our own particular style because we weren't censoring ourselves. Right. We were truly right. ourselves. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really uh, that's very fortunate for both of us, because I know a lot of people that did not get that at home. No, and no. And they were doing it to get some kind of um, validation as well, like consensual validation uh, with their peers, which is something I never, right. <laughs> I never stopped, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so, no, I was just doing it because it relieved me. And my mother knew it, you know, right. my parents knew what it was doing. And that's why they allowed it. I don't know if you felt a sense of relief, you know, you, you had to do what you were doing. Oh, absolutely. Were, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. It yeah. was, you know, I, I, I still, I talk about this a lot on the podcast. I still feel like it was, you know, in a way the stuff I do is born of, of a childhood trauma. Cause I had like a lot of, you know, painful things happened to me when I was little, like weird, weird shit. And, um, but at the same time, I always, even when I was, <clears throat> I could, the, as far back as I can remember, I was kind of always into weird stuff. So it's like, on one hand, it does feel like it came from this trauma. And then the other hand, it does, it also feels like it's sort of who I've always been. But, I, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, no. And also, you say, we, you know, you've always been into weird stuff, but weird is just not normal. Yeah. And normal people scare me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, weird is someone who's an individual, you know, and it's so funny because I always wanted to be normal. I was, you know, in my heart. I mean, I never managed it. <laughs> um, and I was always an outsider, always. Mm-hmm. But I longed. It was like I was pressing my face up against the glass. Right. And inside there were all this a party in color and everyone was having a good time. And I was outside in black and white in the snow kind of thing. Right. You know? <laughs> it always felt like to me. And now. After, you know, after a certain age, <laughs> the gift of aging is that self-acceptance. Right. And I am the party. I am the party. The party, c'est moi. Right. So it's nice. Isn't it such a relief? Oh, they don't tell you this. They say, oh, your body's going to go, go to hell in a handbag, you know. But no, it's just the acceptance of finally knowing who you are and what you're capable of. Right. Is Yes, it is. It, it is. It's, it's it, it, it offsets the uh, the physical things that happen to you. You know, that kind of the wisdom that you get and the self-acceptance. It's so much. It's such a relief. It's it's like a relief of such a burden to not have to try and look cool anymore or try and impress people anymore. It's like, oh, thank God that's over. Unlike you, Chet, I never managed to look cool. I, <laughs> I try. I tried. I always look like, you know, this is so funny. This guy did a tattoo of me on his arm. He On one arm, he did Salvador Dali because he wanted to do tattoos of the artists he most admire. Oh. So on one arm, he did Salvador Dali. And the, on the other arm, he did me. And I look like Donny Osmond. I swear <laughs> to God. Well, that's... <laughs> That's that's an issue with the tattoo artist because you don't look like Donnie Osmond. <laughs> the thing is, no, but the thing is, when I was a kid, I I felt like, you know, really tortured, monstrous, mm-hmm. awful. And then I'd look in the mirror and I see this cute little blue-eyed, <laughs> chubby-faced thing. And the disconnect between what I looked like, I don't know if you had this at all. You know, what I looked like and what I felt oh, yeah. like. 
Definitely. So enormous that that's, that's what art did. It bridged the gap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like a, a, a cherub looking little kid with blonde hair and, you know, the sweetest little looking little boy, but I had this little, you know, weird side to me that, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It did bridge the gap. It's interesting. Okay, I want to ask you. Let's get the let's get the kind of boring stuff out of the way. Because wow. I want to get into the interesting stuff. You were born in the Bronx. You're from the Bronx. Uh, yeah, you know when I say <laughs> when I say it sounds very street credy when I say oh I was born in the Bronx and then people go where doesn't you know it's you know it's like you know it wasn't my parents always lived above their means mm. both my parents worked all their lives and we were always the poorest family in wealthy neighborhoods mm. it's very interesting right so um yeah we and we moved every four years my father kept getting new jobs and we you know they were aspirational they wanted you know to give their kids good you know education and money so they were always you what know, did, getting we, we were getting better and better neighborhoods all the time. What did they do for a living? Well, my dad did a lot of stuff. He was mostly a salesman for um, like construction companies. And then he had his own company, which failed miserably. My poor father, he should have been kicked out of the Jewish religion because he was the worst. He couldn't handle money <laughs> at all. Wow. My poor dad. And my mom was a very very sharp, bright teacher. And she was, you know, she gave me my out, my unusual outlook. She always was telling me to think outside the box, mm. you know, she was murdered to rebel against because she could put me down with one word. It was horrible. Oh, really? She, oh, I couldn't. I, I, I had a rundown. To, I, they gave me a basement studio in one of our houses. So run down to the basement and paint out my anger because I couldn't, I couldn't, there was no way I can confront her in any way, shape, or form. Wow. <laughs> it's hard to rebel against the rebel, I guess. Yeah. Also, I, I, there's one thing that sticks out that I always tell people is so funny. I once said to her, stop treating me like a child. And she said, stop treating me like a mother. So, <laughs> what do you say to that? <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> So, you know, I, I've been drawing since I remember drawing a turtle at age three. And I've been that's the one constant throughout my art life is drawing, drawing, drawing. That's the foundation for everything I do, even my sculpture work. So mm -hmm. um, and I know that you stress the importance of drawing for painters, because a lot of painters mm -hmm. don't know how to draw. And it's like, how can you draw if you don't know? How, how can you paint if you don't know how to draw? It's the most important part of painting, I think. And so, I mean, when did you start? Were you, were you like a three-year-old just forever? Um, there was a myth in my family. I don't know if it's true or not that I drew before I spoke mm. and mm. I was drawing like when I was three. Yep. I just yep. always, and I also drew stories. Like I, I'd have a whole bunch of like loose leaf papers and number them one to 200 or whatever. I used to do that and too. I, yeah. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> And I used, I have uh, the adventures of a boy, let's say, and I said, number one, and he's born. Mm -hmm. And then I draw mm -hmm. him being born. And then, <laughs> and then we go around his life until he died a horrible death. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't do that, but. <laughs> and there were a 
thousands of those. My mother had to get rid of them because, you know, they moved a lot. Mm-hmm. But I literally just sat and my mother was, my parents were very worried about me because I used to sit alone for hours. And my mother always used to say, go and play, play with the children, go out, play with the children. It's, now I'm it's, so, I'm so grateful that I don't have to go out and play with the children. I know, now. right? <laughs> I was going to say, you're st- it's still the same. <laughs> I love it, though. I mean, don't you love it being in the studio? And I mean, I don't know. Maybe you don't. I assume you do because your work's so good. But I love the solitude. I love being alone and creating artwork. I, I find it so much fun. I feel so like, I don't know, in my element. Because that's how I did it when I was a kid. I would always do that by myself. It's, it's the only time I feel totally at ease. Right. Yeah. And it's so because um, I've had a lot of people, a lot of people, what? five, six people who wanted to film me drawing. And I said, no way. Hmm. I don't want to know what that looks like. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't want, you know, I just, it's the only time I am totally unutterably relaxed. I put on headphones and I go bye-bye. And people always say to me, I don't know if they say it to you, you know, oh, you work so hard. You, you know, you make so much work. You work so hard. But for me, it's not working at all. It's mm. bliss. It's relaxing. Right. Working is doing everything else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It, it, it's true. It, it, it's I, I. You know. I don't know. For me, it's it's uh, the the creative act is like it's what I would be doing anyway. It's kind of like my dream job. You know. The, the business end of it, because I'm, you know, I'm doing like a lot of, I'm not working so much, making my living through galleries. It's like I'm selling stuff and posting stuff and dealing with shipping and stuff. So it's, they are kind of tied together. There is a work as, aspect for me, but no matter how burnt out I get from, you know, painting for a show or something, every time I sit down at the easel, it's just like, ah, I feel like myself fully. I feel like myself the, the most myself when I'm creating artwork by myself. And I like, I like the way you said, ah, because that's what my feels when I sit down. You know what I actually do? I don't know if there's a God or not, but I do thank God. Right. When I sit down and just before I start for the day, which is, you know, whatever, I say, thank you, God, mm-hmm. because I get to draw all day. It's, I do it. <laughs> it's amazing. And and I went in my twenties. I had a waitress. I had to work in a box office. I had to do all this other kind of shit. So you know what? A, yeah, what a crappy job is like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, now anytime I, you know, waitresses or box office people or anything, I just, you know, I have so much compassion right. for those poor kids. I know. I'm, I'm I'm a big tipper. Because yeah, I feel too. bad, you know, it's like, I, it's hard work. My parents, they, my parents knew how much I suffered. Mm-hmm. So they used to, when we went to a restaurant, they used to clean the table for the kid and tip like 50%. It was very funny. Oh, really? Because they knew I suffered as a waitress. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Your parents sound kind sound like they were kind of amazing. My parents were, I was very lucky. Yeah, they were the black sheeps of their families, respectively. That's so yeah. cool. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, so I assume you were the art kid in school. You were the one that could draw the best. And you kind of, did you form your identity was, sort of around that? I was the weird art kid, mm-hmm. like you probably yep, were. Definitely. Um, I didn't 
actually dressed the part because I didn't want to be the weird art kid. Mm. I just mm. drew all the time and people, like I didn't dress in black and everything and, and smoke a cigar until I got into university. Right. And then I did. But, <laughs> <laughs> you have to at um, some point. God forgive me. But um, uh, my notebooks were famous in my high school. They used to pass them around because I used to do all these pen and ink, you know, rapidograph yes, pens. Yes, that was the other thing is I got rapidograph pens in high school as well. And I was so into rapidograph pens. A full set? Did you get a full set I with a humidity? With a what? Humidor. It's called the humidor, the thing that, you know, you put them in. I had I had a full set and my parents got me a, an ultrasonic cleaner so I could take them apart oh, and, act, and, and oh. put them in soapy water. <laughs> so oh, man, you were up with class. I didn't get that. One. I know. I got lucky there. <laughs> I don't know how they afforded that. It was weird because my wow. stepdad, my stepdad was an artist. So we there would be times oh. where there was money. You know, and then Mm -hmm. other times, most of the time, we were just completely broke. But every once in a while, yeah, she was a teacher. All right. Yeah, yeah. And so, but every once in a while, he'd sell a painting and and I'd get like, you know, the ultrasonic cleaner or a bag of plaster so I could make a mask or, you know what I mean? Nice. Nice. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, no, I, that, that, um, I just became, but I didn't think of myself as an artist. Really? No. Hmm. This is very interesting. Hmm. I thought calling yourself an artist was pretentious. E- even at what age are you talking about? Until I moved to Europe when I graduated university. Well, before I graduated, I handed my paper and I left university hmm. with my boyfriend. And... Um, we had to fill out landing cards when you flow, you know, when you flew back, back, back and forth from um, Europe to the U.S. You had to fill out a landing card, and in the landing card it said occupation. So I didn't say occupation artist until I was twenty-three years old. Oh, interesting. And that was only because I had a show in London and I sold stuff and I was able to buy stuff from from my art. Wow. For the first time ever. So so at that point you were like, I must be an artist. That was the, and I remember it. It was very clear. I, I, I looked at occupation, it was a blank, and I said, artist. Wow. Capital A. <laughs> so I'm assuming you went to, to um college art was it it was art college to be an artist or was it it was, it was, it was Carnegie Mellon University. Oh. And I got a full scholarship. Even though, like, compared to these days, it was like, you know, what what they, they used to, it used to be like 6,000 a year or something right. or a semester. I don't remember. But now it's like 100 million, billion thousand. I, God knows. Right. But I got full scholarship and it was the first time I was allowed to just draw mm-hmm. and paint, whatever. You know, they, we did everything. Right. Yeah, that's cool. I wish I would have gone to art college. I almost went. I almost went. I'd applied to, um, I got a grant, a Pell grant, and I was going to go to CalArts. And at the last minute, I was like, I want to work in the film industry. I know what I can do it. And so I bailed at the last minute. And I started working in the film industry right out of high school doing effects. So, but um, 
That was clever because then you could support yourself. Yeah, it was it was like uh um I don't know, something inside me told me to go for it because that's that was my ultimate goal anyway. And I was like, I don't know, I think I could probably learn more in the film industry, you know, actually working on the job because I'd been studying it all throughout high school. I was I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So but my guidance counselor was really bummed. He was like, You're making a big mistake. I don't think you did make a big mistake. You know, I taught my, I had to cut my classes and teach myself composition and drawing, like actual drawing, because I went to university in the 70s, like 1974, mm-hmm. uh, early 70s. I don't even know when it was anymore. I'm, I'm so old, I can't remember. But, <laughs> and it was all conceptual stuff. Right. I wanted to paint like Van Eyck or Memling or Rembrandt. Yep. I can say it correctly now because I lived in Amsterdam. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and they've said, no, you can't do that. You have to do like paint for paint's sake, you know, just smush it on there, which was very boring to me. Yeah. So I took my classes and I copied the masters in the library with headphones on, listening to Simon and Garfunkel, which really dates me. <laughs> and, um, I love Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, classic. And, but I got to go to Europe in my junior year. That must have been and, amazing. Well, they had a program to go. It was an exchange program. So we went to a school in Europe. You know, like uh, like Chelsea School of Art in London, or you know, it was an exchange program for art students. So three of us got together. We were three like full scholarship students, and said, "Look, why don't you just let us travel around Europe, not go to a school, and give us a full year of credit when we get back?" <laughs> Or portfolio. We didn't do it like that. We did it really, really good. Okay. Right. There were three and we were really, we were really good. And to our surprise, they said, okay, why don't you do that? <laughs> Amazing. So I wrote to my mother and I said, Ma, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go to Europe for a year and travel around and get a full year's credit at university. And she said, no, you're not. You're not doing that. I'm not letting you do that. So I thought, holy shit, you know, I said thing and I didn't figure on my mother not because she didn't even let me cross the street till I was 21. I should have realized she, you know, so I wrote her the most amazing letter. It was the best letter in my entire life. (laughs) It had to be. Oh, it was really good. <laughs> I said, Dear Ma, I totally understand that you do not want to let me go to Europe. And I totally, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. The upshot was that she said yes. Wow. And we were being paid. You know, we had a scholarship, so they paid for it as well. And so we just, the three of us landed in Paris and we all subdivided after a while because we were all very, three very different people. I wound up in Aix-en-Provence in France, living in a farmhouse with a little motor scooter. That sounds amazing. In French with the motor scooter. And um, I had everything lined up. I had a waitressing job. I had 
uh, exhibition lined up. I had my whole life lined up and I called my mom, collect, of course, <laughs> and said, Mom, I'm not coming back to, to end my, you know, to get my degree, my BFA. I used to call it, you know, my BFA, my big fucking artist. Because it was <laughs> really. Uh, and, sh- and I said, I got everything here. I was, I was fluent in French because no one spoke English. That was the only reason why. And um, she said, you're coming back. So I came back. <laughs> and I finished my last year at Carnegie Mellon University. They gave me a year's credit plus academic credit because I took a French class. I just registered and then took the test at the end because I was fluent, I, you know, mm-hmm. with a good Southern French accent. But, um, <laughs> and, uh, and then I left for Europe and I knew I wanted to live in Europe. I didn't want to live in the States anymore. So it changed my life. Yeah, that's amazing. But it was useless. It didn't teach me anything. The university didn't teach me a goddamn thing. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. That was like, I think that was the, the 70s is probably the worst time for a person who wanted to learn how to do, you know, representational artwork because it was all conceptual. I remember my dad, uh, my stepdad told me that he felt like art school almost ruined him because he wanted to do the same. His stuff is very, you know, it's figurative work. Yeah, I've seen his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, uh, you know, it was all, I think in the sixties and the seventies, it was all like that, but it's changing now though. And our art colleges are, are really, and there's a lot yeah. of art colleges. Um, I was a guest, um, lecturer at Arkansas state university. Mm. Not Arkansas. I keep getting Arizona. It's an A. That's yeah. why <laughs> Arizona state university, which have a fabulous graduate art uh, degree. Mm. And the work being done there was amazing and really inspirational. Had I had that kind of stuff when I was going. But I had to constantly fight my corner because everyone was always criticizing what I was doing. But because of my parents, I had the self-confidence to fight. A lot of people caved in. Right. Yeah. Some of the stuff, I mean, you know. Some of the, I I understand modern art. I understand it's like, it's, 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 it's about, you know, um, context, you know, it's about where it came in art history and it makes sense, but I just can't imagine Damien Hirst makes, you know, some chopped up cow thing i mean those things were kind of cool actually but i mean some of the stuff like the spot paintings is he painting those and going oh this feels so good it's just i can't see it i can't imagine like some of this conceptual stuff where people are just like get the same feeling we get when we're doing well, our artwork maybe they do it's coming from a totally different place and a lot of um the artwork is coming from a, a mercenary place too but I mean, if I had been doing it for the money, I would add color and not draw. Right. <laughs> um, That's true. But, you know, I mean, it's we. Everyone has subjective taste in yeah. art, and what I like, someone else will hate, and what I hate, someone else will like. It's not about that. It's about being dictated to. Right. The universe is big enough for a spot and juror. Absolutely. And- Rock on the floor. Absolutely. And, you know, Rembrandt. And, but because the art world got taken over by these rich guys who had no fucking taste whatsoever, but there we are. Right. Um, 
<laughs> and then dictated to the rest of us who gets into the museums, who gets curated, who gets into this, who gets into that. It's the world, the art world is very small. I know. And it's getting smaller. Yeah. Especially at that uh, level, on that really high-end level. It's yeah. really small. Unless you're drinking with the right people and and it's not about what you do, it's who you know, which is interesting. I'm so into what you do and how you do it, you right. know, the, the, the mechanisms of it, how, you know, the, the glory, yeah. the glory, <laughs> painting. You know, I went um, to Ghent. I lived in Belgium for a while, mm. in Bruges, and I used to go to Ghent re regularly to see my beloveds, Jan van Eyck's the, um, the Lamb of God, which is a ginormous triptych in a church. Mm. And people used to think I was really religious because I used to go to this church a lot. <laughs> and I used to go and stand there and just, oh, uh, it was before they put glass in front of it. Oh, wow. You could put your nose practically right up to the, 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 the painting. And it was, it was like seeing God. It right. was how the hell he did every blade of grass. He did every jewel. He did, you know, the, the amount of time and effort and thought and talent it took mm -hmm. is awe inspiring to me. Right. And right. to see that and then see a rock on the floor. Right. I don't understand, but the <laughs> floor is, you know, just as valid to some people. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's what, that's what I always say. It's like, I get it. I understand it. And some of it, I I've seen stuff that was like conceptual art that I thought, wow, that's really cool. Like the, like yeah, the, like the eating machine, this guy built a, a machine that you feed, you put food in one end and then shit out the other. It like, go, <laughs> it goes through a whole digestive thing. And I'm like, that's creative and interesting and funny. My, my issue's always been that it gets, it gets preferential treatment. And then we're just considered like nothing when we're doing way more work, <laughs> you know? But that's always been the case. Fashion always rules mm -hmm. the arts, clothing, film, books, fashion. It's very interesting. Um, I was a, I lived in England and I of course became a Bronte fanatic and Charlotte Bronte, who's now like a ginormous figure in literary world, you know, Jane Eyre and everything. And, mm -hmm. She was not known when she was alive. This other woman was known. I can't even remember her name right now, by the way. This other woman was very a big star, and Charlotte Bronte went to see her, and she was so thrilled. Charlotte Bronte was so thrilled that this huge literary figure who was fashionable in her time was deigning to see Charlotte Bronte. And then, you know, all these, like, hundreds of years later, I don't even know that woman's name. Right. It's Charlotte right. Bronte, I remember, because of her technique, her effort, her work, her originality, her individuality. She was not fashionable. She followed her own Charlotte Bronteism. Right. <laughs> and therefore, she lives. And that other woman, whatever. Right. Yeah. It's the, yeah. <laughs> The test of time is the only real test there is, unfortunately. So the fact that we're not fashionable, I think, is very hopeful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm telling you know, I, I, um, if throughout, I've we've done this is going to be, I think, podcast 120. So I've done a lot of these podcasts so far, and one of the things we always talk about is, um, you know, the kind of artwork we're doing, which people call it dark art. We've decided to embrace the term. I have anyway, just as a way for people to understand it and talk about it. And I see it as kind of the most popular 
artwork of the people. Like more people will see your work and love it. The average person will see your work or my work if they're, you know, if they're oriented that way to like the darker stuff, they'll see it and they'll like it instantly. And, you know, as far as the other stuff, the stuff that's in fashion, it doesn't register to them. Our, our artwork is like for regular people, like real people. Exactly. And that's what the Internet has done for us. Right. It's democratized the art world because otherwise we wouldn't be seen. Right. And um, I have a huge and not as big as yours, of course, but it's not size. It's how it's how you use it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, a huge online presence. Right. A lot of kids. You know, in fact, when I went to um, Arizona, not Arkansas, Arizona <laughs> State University, a lot of the kids already knew my work. Right. Yeah. Knew, oh, um, your stuff is your, your stuff is more popular online than you maybe you even know. I mean, you're huge. You're huge. Really? Yes, you Thank are. Huge. <laughs> you finally made it. Because <laughs> everyone always makes short jokes when they see me. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> You're finally huge. Yay! <laughs> so, okay. I, um, one thing I, I was, I, I saw your drawings in that, in the documentary of your, your childhood drawings, and you've mm-hmm. always been drawing weird, dark stuff. Was there ever a period where you tried, where you tried to do the normal stuff? Or have you just been on this straight traje- trajectory of what you're doing now? It seems to me very straightforward path. Yeah, of weirdness, <laughs> darkness. Can I quote you a straightforward path to weirdness? Absolutely. Like, like, <laughs> um, well, like you, I've used my artwork to get, you know, to um, digest trauma and being myself. Somehow being me was not good. I hated it. I hated it for the longest time. Wow. So trying to digest it, I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't write it. I could have written about it, but I didn't have that in me. I couldn't write about right. it. And, um, but you could draw about it. I drew about it because that came the most naturally to me. And so that was my outlet. It was a literal outlet for my emotions mm-hmm. and my negative emotions. Right. Well, I don't, you know, negative, positive, whatever. I just, it was a, a kind of, um, you know, when you're under pressure, like, what is that? The pressure gauge, you know, you got to let out steam. Right. It's, that was my steam. Right. It's catharsis in a way. Yeah. It's cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I thought, uh, one I, of the- I guess, I guess if anyone like Goya or, right. um, you know, um, I can't think, you know, the one thing about hitting 60 is that your memory Guys, oh, I used to speak three different languages, and now I can't even speak English. But I'm trying to think of other artists like oh, yeah. I'm 51, but, and mine's already gone. <laughs> all right, you're precocious. Um, <laughs> but you know, pe- it's a tradition that has been going for a very, very Ensor Goyer. Yep. Imagery is a tradition. Francis Bacon. Going- Who? Francis Bacon. Oh. Bacon, thank you. Giger, Bachinsky, you know. Giger, yes, Bachinsky. Oh, I love him. Yeah, um, it's a it's a tradition that goes back to the caves, actually. Yeah. Cave. So it's a human. It's um, 
it's not dark art. It's human art. It's, right. it's being human. It's, it's, it's coming to terms with being ourselves, with being human. Yeah. It's confronting. I think, you know, what we're doing is kind of confronting our darkness in a safe way, you know, expressing it and sharing it with other people mm-hmm. so that they can kind of maybe uh, project their own darkness onto it and see themselves in it and, you know, acknowledge it. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, is uh, from Carl Jung, which is, uh, 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 <laughs> enlightenment is not imagining figures of light. It is making the darkness conscious. Which I kind of think yes. says it all yes. about what we're doing. It's it's like you know in my documentary, you know Erwin Erwin Chofin. Yeah, yeah. He's he's yeah, in, yeah. he's in that, and he 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 says you know it's not dark art, it's light art. Actually, it's it's you know, but that's kind of what makes it cool. I love that about it. I love that we're doing dark stuff. That's actually more about. Ultimately, it's about enlightenment, I think. Well, also, um, it's interesting you say, you know, in a safe way, you know, we're doing it in a safe way mm-hmm. because I was so disconnected from myself that I didn't even know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I really twisted horrible things. I mean, really, I mean, now my images have calmed down, believe it or not. But. <laughs> When I was in my 20s and 30s, I really did a lot of stuff about my family, about sex and mm-hmm. sexual encounters. And, and people would come up to me in an exhibition and go, oh, my God, you're so courageous that you're, you're putting yourself out there like this. And I go, really? Right. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, I look at this stuff. I go, oh, my God. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's the thing. It's not like... You know, we're at a point now where we can kind of analyze what we're doing, but all of this came for me and everybody I know. It's it came naturally. Nobody had an agenda. Like I'm going to make this statement. It was just about true expression, self expression. You know, and uh, in hindsight, you can kind of look back and see yeah. why it happened. But we, we're just following our nose. We're following our our the creative impulse within us. You know, and this is what comes out. Right. Right. And that's why no, it's exactly. Good. That's why it's why, good. You know, we're not making megatons of money in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you showed you were showing at Ace Gallery for a while, which was yeah, nice. The talk of the town when Lori Lipton got into Ace Gallery because that's like yeah, a, no, that was nice. That's like a blue chip gallery. That's like it is a it was a blue chip right. gallery. It no longer exists. I don't. Think. Oh, right. it does exist, but only in name. So. What was that like? What was that experience well, like? Because that's got to be totally different from showing at a regular gallery like we show at. Um, I looked, you know, he was asking to come over. I just moved to L.A. I didn't know who he was, what he was or anything. So I looked him up online and I saw that he didn't pay his artists. Right. And Andy Warhol mentioned him in his diary saying, oh, Doug didn't pay me again. I read that article. (laughs) And everything. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to show this guy. There's no way I'm showing with this guy. No. (laughs) And then he said, well, Lori, please let me come over. Let me come over. Let me come over. So, all right. Comes over. And he goes, look, before you say no to me, 
hear me out. I want you to do huge drawings and I'll put you on a stipend. And I went, okay. <laughs> I know. That's all you need to tell me too. I totally get that. That sounds like heaven to me. I'm going to pay you to make giant paintings. And, you know, the money sometimes didn't come and there was a lot of stress and aggravation, mm. but it was worth it. And, you know, a lot of people say a lot of things about Doug Christmas, but I am very, very grateful to mm. him because he upped my game. Right. I was, I was, you know, not allowed to do big work because they don't sell. Right. You know? That's why I haven't done any huge works because I can't, you know, how am I going to sell that thing? I'm going to yeah. do one soon, but so it takes a lot of time. So it has to be costly. Right. So he allowed me to fly. That's pretty amazing. It was amazing. I, I, I will always be grateful to him. Always, always. You must've been having so much fun though. Yeah. Must've, it must've been so great. Be like ah, a big white, huge surface. You know, it was like having to dance in the closet and then being given a ballroom. Right. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that moment. Damn it. I want that so bad. It sounds amazing. Yeah. No, I'll ask the angels for you. Not okay. that they're here or anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in the angels. I do. I believe in all that stuff. Hey, angels. <laughs> <laughs> it's an energy. It's just metaphors for this yeah, huge, no, no. intelligent I'll, I'll, energy. I'll zap you with energy. Zap me with energy, please. Ballroom energy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that that you deserved it though. I mean, yeah, at that that that's you should have been there. That you deserved it. You've been doing this longer than you know most of us have been doing it. And longer than God, yeah. It, it it's it was like you know the right time for. I think it was like you got your due, which is great. Um, but was it how it, it, the experience must have been different with collectors and and all. Was it di a lot different as far as the interaction with? It was a whole different ball game. Completely, you know? right? Game. Totally and, different type of collector and everything, I imagine. Yeah, no, it was a whole different game. And at first, you know, I was, um, I spoke to, you know, you know Greg Escalante. Mm -hmm. um, he got me to LA. He was the one who. Oh, really? This residency. Fucking Greg. He was so I, great. You know, I really, yeah, I really miss him. And oh. I called yeah. Greg up and I said, look, this is what's going on. What should I do? You know, Ace Gallery wants me, and what should I do? And he said, you have to take it. Yeah. You have yeah. to take it, and you have to just go with it. Whatever happens, you have to just go with it. And I think that was the best. Even, you know, with whatever happened, I just, you know, I It was it. worth it in the long run. <laughs> what? It was worth it. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. In the long run. So, um... But it was a whole different, you know, the art world has tiers, it has um, layers. Mm -hmm. And I was suddenly jettisoned to a, like a top layer. Right. Topest layer, but a top layer. Yep. And um, it was very satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice. I liked it. Oh, hey, hello. <laughs> I'll send you some energy too. Good. <laughs> I'll zap you. Yeah, I'll need it. <laughs> are you are you showing in uh, in any other like blue chip galleries now, or is that no? But I have I do have a show in July. It's oh, opening. really? Yeah, it's, I just found that it's July 10th, and it's in San Francisco, 
and it's called Modernism Inc. I N C. And he's been around for about forty years. He has some very nice artists on his books. What's the gallery? Um, Modernism Inc. Oh, oh, I thought you, I thought that was the title of the show. Modernism Inc. Okay. No, my title of the show is Ex Machina. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Um, and it's going to be from uh, July 10th to the end of August. Excellent. It's, yeah, San Francisco. But I haven't, LA um, hasn't really embraced me, really. really. I mean, I think my work is too weird. I, I, you know, it's a lot of the stuff is very decorative. And I know. I got a lot of very good blue chip galleries coming here to see my work. Mm. And a lot of them like my work. But nothing has, you know, really clicked since I left Ace. So, you know, if you know someone who knows someone, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know, it's weird. I, I don't know. I, I feel like we're, we're punk rock is what I feel like in a way. And it's like in the early days of punk rock, it was, it was, a, it was a people's movement, you know, it's down low, kind of down low and dirty. And it took years for the rest of the world to kind of catch on and it eventually became grunge which was fucking huge worldwide thing and it's like you know i think that's what's going to happen with our stuff it's going to be big time it it better hurry up because i'm getting old i know what you mean (laughs) i feel the same way (laughs) no you don't know what you i mean you little youngster you little whippersnapper (laughs) (laughs) well shit Well, I, uh, God, there's so many things I want to ask you. Um, I love the, uh, uh, that's one thing, you know, one thing about the documentary I love, I just watched it. So I was like, it's fresh in my mind. It was so good. It was that one collector who, have, who uh, owns the, the love bites or love bite drawing. And he, he said how people were <laughs> scared of it when they came in his office and they had to take it down. <laughs> and, and I love how he said, it's just art. Why are you afraid of this? You know? And it's like, that's, 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 that's what I mean about experiencing it in a, in a safe way. You know, it is just art. It's weird that it yeah. triggers people like that though. But images are very powerful. I that's, know. You know, a marketing people pay fortunes right. for good images and propaganda always uses images. And, and my whole thing ever since I was a child is, I was always drawn to powerful images, always. Mm-hmm. I always wanted the power. I felt so powerless. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, That's true. That's a good point. I wanted the power. I wanted to channel some kind of, I wanted power. Right. And I'm, my images have calmed down right now. I'm, I'm sort of at a crossroads. I'm doing a lot of what I call, I, I've, I've dubbed them techno rococo is a lot of yeah. like this technology and because my you know it's there's a lot of stuff uh, my whole social life is basically online mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stuff you know behind screens so that has affected me but so it's been watered down a bit but what's happening now politically and in our country it's crazy stop with the wires and get back to powerful images yeah i'm i'm feeling the urge I, I yeah, I was just watching. Uh, what was it? I watched. I I I watch documentaries on, while I paint. As I have them on. I like listen to them. And I was just. I, I was watching a documentary on on 
punk, the punk movement, actually. And um, <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe why it's fresh in my mind. But this one guy was talking about, um, I think he was talking about the MC5, the span, the MC5, who was kind of like the beginning of the punk movement, Iggy Pop and M- MC5. And he was talking about how Nixon was in office. He was like, a criminal was in office who had no regard for the law. And it, and it, and it really spurred on this whole creative art movement and it's like we're there now again you know and it's uh, i the the artwork's only going to get better because things are so fucked in this country i kind of feel like you know something's going to come out of that it enrages me that the most popular shows are like polka dots and right and, you know, lights um fluorescent lighting and rain and why aren't artists saying, look, look, what's happening? What the fuck? Look at this, you stupid assholes. Wake up. Right. Instead, all the art is about sleeping, sleepwalking, and, and, and visual eye candy, like uh, just nothing. Right. And Vapid. I, it's, it, it enrages me. I know I just said before that everything's permissible and the universe is big enough for everything and whatever. <laughs> But um, maybe not right now. <laughs> right now, um, I always I asked my grandma because she you know grew up in the depression, and my grandpa fought you know in World War Two, and not World War One. My father fought in World War Two, and um, I said, "How did they allow Hitler? How did that happen? Why didn't the people rise up? Why did they allow this?" And now I know. Right. You know, yeah. Although they didn't have iPhones to just stare at, but still. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 scary. Mm. It's scary. I, I, I like that a lot of your work now is is uh, uh talking about that. You know, you're kind of confronting what's going on directly. I haven't really figured out a way to to do it in my work. I mean, I kind of feel like I, I sort of feel like with my work, it's there's an underlying unease that something is definitely wrong. That's like an overall theme, like something is wrong in the world. And it's sort of, you know, showing people how they really are, these kind of monsters beneath the surface. So on that level, it's kind of. I think it's underlying. I think it's overlying. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm just like, I'm complete. I'm very intuitive, uh, which is I definitely want to ask you some technical stuff, too which we, we can get we can get to but but the but mm-hmm. i'm like completely intuitive like i don't pl- have an idea usually i start doodling and whatever comes out what grabs me i go oh th- whatever excites me it's not even on a mm-hmm. verbal level really so i, I kind of i feel like that unconscious part of my mind is works better for me than my conscious mind you know when i try to think about doing something it's more like this inner thing works better for me um but but the show I'm doing at Bain Arts is called The Administrators, and they're all mm. guys in suits, and they're mm. creepy ass monsters in a creepy ass environment. And that's to me, you know, it's a it's a it's a short little jump between the administrators and the administration. And you know, I even used some of you know Mitch McConnell's reference for one, and <laughs> so it's like it's there. It's just kind of maybe mm. I don't know. Seems kind of subtle to me, but um, one thing I wanted to ask you is. How how do you prepare to to create a to create these huge pieces or any of your pieces? I mean, are you are you using 
photo reference at all or are you just kind of going for it or i have no clue on your uh how you how you create your work really well i i start on the piece of paper itself you you don't do a lot of prep work no um oh wow i while i'm drawing ideas come into my head and i write them out i write out titles oh wow and I don't really do any sketching or anything. I have a title. So I have a book of titles. That's amazing. Next, next to my drawing table is a book of titles. It's a little black book of titles. Mm-hmm. And I think in images. Um, I thought this was normal. And my mom said, no, Lori, people think in words. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so I'll get an image. Let's say... Uh, this one really political thing I did is called Post Truth. It was right yeah. after Trump. That's a great Trump one. got elected, and I really needed to draw out my agony at that point because mm. I had. Oh man, that was amazing! I never cried after an election in my life. Well, sort of sniffled after Bush got reelected, but right. <laughs> it wasn't like the horror that I felt. Right. And um, so I started this. I just knew. I wanted this thing in front of microphones and it was very, it's very difficult to do something political without it being like a political cartoon. I know. I know. Uh, you know, yep, like a caricature thing right, or right. illustration. Exactly. Quote unquote. Exactly. You know, the worst thing you can call somebody in the art world is, Oh, she's an illustrator. You know, it's like saying she's a cunt. I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's the worst thing you could call somebody. I didn't want an illustration. So what I did, I started in the middle with this mouth, this oh, mouth, and then the microphones. And I erased on that paper, I'm surprised I didn't make a hole for a month because <laughs> I couldn't get it. Originally, I erased a lot of work. Originally, I had all these like people hiling him with iPhones. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I thought, this doesn't work. And I erased them all. You know oh how my... long it took to make those things? Oh, my and God. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. So I was pushing and pulling and pushing. I had to get the cartoon, the line drawing right. And because it's from my head, I, I'm erasing for the first month because I don't, you know, I'm just making it up. That's amazing. So I get the line drawing right. And I use a mirror to look at it. So because when I look at it, I can't see what's wrong. Right. So when I look through a mirror, I can see because it's backwards. It's like seeing through somebody else's eyes. Yeah, the mirror so is amazing. Or that doesn't sit on there or whatever. The magic mirror of truth. Oh, really? Either. No. Oh, you're Went doing to the best art school and they did in perspective. Oh, you mean all the stuff you do with buildings and everything is it's out of your head. And not only that, it's slightly off, which now I'm grateful for, uh-huh. but before it really, really used to annoy me. Wow. So just go for it. I mean, just whatever. No reference. But, uh, you're not using any reference. Well, sometimes let's say I need to, I need to make a, a coffee maker. Right. Or let's say I need to draw a specific car or I need to draw a specific kind of like a motor. Right. I will use a reference, but jump off of it because I don't like um, copying. 
And when people always say, oh, look at this person, she's like, it's like photorealism. They, you know, just become a photographer. Just leave me alone. It's, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't, there's no talent to copying a photograph. I like to use my imagination. Right. If I need a reference, I will just use the cartoon, like, like make a general cartoon of it and then go for it in my own way. You I know? can't believe that's amazing. That's amazing. That's how I go too, though. I mean, I'm mostly out of my head, 90%. I know you're out of your head, 90%. <laughs> That's what we have in common. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take a picture of something if I need a hand. I can't get yeah, something no, no. once in a while. But generally, that's the fun of it to me, is is straight from your head and onto the canvas. It's yeah, so that's fun. what's so... It's ch- I like a challenge. Right. I like a big challenge. And I can draw virtually anything right now because I've been doing it. That's all I do. Yeah, I can't do yeah. anything else. I mean, it says in that in that documentary, I you know I can't I can't drive, I can't cook, <laughs> I can't do anything. I am totally useless. If there was an apocalypse, no one would pick me to be on their team because I do nothing. <laughs> nothing. All I can do is draw, but I do it very very well. Yes. And I have a whole library of um, things in my head that I know how things are lit too, except sometimes I need to make a still life if the lighting is very complex. Right. So I have little dolls. Mm. Oh, this is, this is a funny story. <laughs> okay. I was living in the basement of a London flat and you could see through like there were bars and you could look, if you were passing by, like walking by, you could look down and see into my living room, my studio. Right. My living room is always my studio. So I set up this still life. Because I needed to light something, and I had these little dolls and a strong light on them, and I had little like bumps. I don't know, just to, to to fill in for something, and it was like really, you know, complex little like a little scene. Right. And I'm sitting and drawing it and everything, and I look up. There are ten people looking down. <laughs> <laughs> what is the psycho doing down here? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> That's hilarious. They didn't see me drawing. They just saw the dog. Right. The <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> That's incredible, though. I can't believe you. I can't believe you. I mean, it's cool. I again, it's one more thing. I relate so much to so much of you. I relate a lot. Um, there's a lot of parallels, but I didn't realize you were doing that all out of your head. It's insane. It's even crazier. It's so cool. It's I insane. Love it. Yes, I love totally. It. Yeah. How long did it take you to to do those huge drawings for Ace Gallery? Well, um, I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I used to walk in there, and there's a huge piece of paper, and I I got scared, and I thought, okay, just shut up. You're just doing this today. That's all you're doing. You're not doing the whole thing. You're just, so I did it like that. Right. And I know I didn't want to know how long they took me because otherwise I'd be depressed out of my gourd. Yeah. You know, it'd be too, because it was really daunting. Yeah. Overwhelming. I'm sure. It was big marks. I used tiny little cross hatching. Right. The marks didn't get bigger. The surface got bigger. And so. (laughs) You know, if you look at something that big and think, oh, my God, you know, I'm just going to die doing this. (laughs) I'm going to age and die. So, But because I work a lot, 
they didn't take me as long as they look like they take me. Some people said, oh, that took you years. But no, it took months. Wow. Yeah, I, that's what I was thinking. That, that that show might have taken you years, but that's kind of incredible. How how many hours a day are you drawing? Do you, do you know? An yeah. Do you ever do like marathon 12-hour sessions or anything like that? I used to be able to when I was younger, but now I have to get up. Otherwise, my, my body's not amused. I know. I know. I have to gym i have to do mean i have to get up and run and you know i have to you know right. i have to keep myself fit so wow but as long as i want it's luxurious yes <laughs> yeah and it's your you know it's your it's your whole life i get it i get it i love it it's too much fun i know <laughs> i like i like People thinking that I work a lot, you know, yeah. this well, look how much you work. So yeah. I put, you know, get some sympathy votes. Right. <laughs> I can't let my brother listen to this. Otherwise he'll know. <laughs> You've got siblings or a sibling. Yeah, I, got, I got a younger brother who's now agreed to be my older brother when he hits 60. <laughs> Because I can't have a younger brother who's 60. No right. way. And because he's frightened of me, he totally agreed. <laughs> so now he's, I have an older brother, yes. <laughs> it, 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 is anyone else in your family artistically inclined? No. How about you? Uh, oh, your stepfather. I mean. Yeah, my stepfather. But I was, you know, it's, that's the weird kind of cosmic thing with my stepdad coming around is um, I was already like, saw myself as an artist before I even met him. It was like, that's what, that's what I was. And my mom's side mm -hmm. of the family, she was very artistic. She was really good at drawing. And her sister is amazing at drawing. And, and even her other sister, it's like the three sisters, they were always very creative. So I, I'm pretty sure I got it from my mom's side. And then my stepdad came in and it just kind of reinforced everything because from, you know, from age six or so, there was just, artwork everywhere and him painting in the studio every single day seven days a week so it mm. just you know i absorbed a lot through osmosis which was pretty amazing nice nice yeah yeah i was lucky i was lucky i don't know what i would have done if he never came around just things were kind of crazy before that um yeah it's kind of i that's that's how i i think i shielded myself because there was in my early childhood there was real issues with my parents and my brother and sister and like violence and just trauma and i would just go and draw i would go away is the only way i could kind of protect myself and i think that i would always draw monsters you know and mm -hmm. and, and watch horror movies because mm -hmm. it, to me it was like um <clears throat> i was able to i was able to relate to the feeling like i saw i remember when i saw night of the living dead have you ever seen night of the living dead the yeah, black and white one yeah. <laughs> i saw that when i was probably five years old. And it, I felt, I felt so strongly about it. I was fascinated and so scared and it felt like, you know, this is how I feel most of the time mm -hmm. <laughs> in this environment, mm -hmm. you know? So it was like, I connected to it and I, and I always had that connection and it kind of helped steer what I was creating, I think, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I, I really had a connection to sci-fi. I loved it because, yeah. you know, you know, behind, not the sci-fi that, you know, the, the spaceships and everything, the sci-fi where suddenly everything becomes weird in yeah. suburbia. Oh, yeah, me too. I love, you ever, you ever read Philip K. Dick? 
Of course, I have read them all. I've read everything. Amazing, right? Incredible. Still, it's, I can't believe it. And that the Twilight Zone was my, oh. my best. I mean, yes. I just, yeah. And, oh. and the it was black and white, maybe as influenced. Right. <laughs> yeah, the Twilight Zone is like pretty much the best show that's ever been made. I've seen every episode a million times. Incredible. And that was another guy, Rod Serling, you know, another guy fighting against the odds to make that yeah. happen. Incredible. So many amazing episodes and important episodes, you know. Mm. For the time, still holds up. I know. It's incredible. Even though they try to duplicate it, they really yeah. They can't. They can't. Have you seen Black Mirror? The show Black Mirror. No, I don't get. You know what? I don't get Netflix or Amazon or anything like that because I would never draw again. Right. I go down. I go down a rabbit hole <laughs> of watching a whole series, like you know. Yeah. I don't have it. Although I've seen like, I know what it's about, and it's, uh, people. It's yeah. really pretty close to yeah. almost as good as the Twilight Zone. It's really yeah. is, but I, I I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is really good, and it's like a modern day because it deals with all you know the internet and VR and yeah, yeah. You would love it. You would absolutely. I love know, it. but you know, when I retire, I'll catch up. Yeah, you're never gonna retire. No. <laughs> <laughs> Me no, either. You're right. <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you maybe when you, you know, and this goes for me, too, when you earn enough money to not have to to be able to take some time off to watch some shows. I don't know. It's I don't think it's about money. If it was, you know, I, you know, I started earning a lot of money with AIDS right. and I worked twice as hard. Oh, really? Well, hard. I worked. I mean, right. worked. I drew. I <laughs> <laughs> drew twice as hard. <laughs> Twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, I mean, do you have collectors left over from that, that you're still selling to on that higher end level? I mean, yeah, I, that's what, that's what's me going right now. I mean, I don't have a gallery. Like I do have the, you know, the gallery in San Francisco, but um, no, that's what's keeping me going right now is selling to my collectors. And I do a lot of commission work. Hmm. I do a lot of, uh, Portraits, really, you know, intense portraits, and um, I can draw literally anything. So, right. you know, um, so that's what's keeping me going. Yeah, that's cool. That's great. Yeah, you're. It's like you know, it's like Mark Ryden and Todd Shore and you kind of have made it to that level that we're all trying to get to, which is pretty no, amazing. Biden has exceeded my level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's true. He's selling what? $500,000 paintings and stuff. One day, one day. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. You'll definitely get there. Hopefully I'll get there. Well, I, 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 I could talk to you, you know, easily for another hour, but I know you, you, you don't want to, you have drawing to do. I have to draw. <laughs> have to draw <laughs> but that i i'm so uh appreciative that you came on the show i really love your work and you are an amazing person thank you check it takes one to know one <laughs> <laughs> well thank you well um okay well thanks for coming on i'm gonna i'm gonna do the little spiel so just hold tight and don't hang up don't hang up when i say goodbye 
I forgot to tell you that before we started recording. So thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Thank you, Lori, for coming on. Anybody, if you want to support the podcast, you can support it at patreon.com slash darkartsociety for as little as a dollar a month. And that helps us make this show happen. And you get to listen to it for free. So that's it. So thanks again, Lori. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Say goodbye, Lori. Say goodbye to the world. Goodbye, Laurie. Goodbye to the world. Goodbye.